Lambert und Karl-Heinz Riele 1 zu 0 für Borussia Dortmund. Hello and welcome back to the German Football Podcast. This week we're going to be talking about 50 plus 1, the Bundesliga and, and the league standing in Europe. All things which definitely haven't been spoken about uh, to death by other podcasts before. But um, to do that, I've got the, co- the, the founder of the podcast, actually, who's, who's not been on the podcast for, I think, nearly four or five weeks now, Roy Campbell. And uh, I've actually got a little um, quiz here to start off the, the episode. So I believe the last time you were on was the 13th of January. Is that right? When we did the podcast with Chris about working in uh, German football media. So yeah, first question yeah, first question to you, Roy, is of course, how are you doing? Second question is to you, how many Union Berlin players have left in the time that you have been off the podcast? That includes going on loan, leaving the club permanently, or confirming that they will leave. Oh, hi. I'm, I'm, I, was, I'm, I was great until you put me on the spot. Um, does it include like Krummel today? Oh, yesterday, today, yeah. It was yesterday? Yes. That's one. Van, Van Drongelen. I'm going to, I'm, so we don't uh, sit here for 10 minutes, I'm going to throw a wild guess at five. Um, no, however, that seems like a good point to move on to uh, fellow uh, co-host, Colin. Uh, first of all, of course, how are you doing? Secondly, do you have a better guess than, than Roy? I'm all right. I'm confused. I didn't realise Rick Van Drommelen had actually left. Yeah, he's going to Mechelen. yeah. He's going to Belgium. Belgian club. Promo, Van Drommelen, Friedrich, Cruiser. That's where I got to, and then I thought, fuck, I was either one. Six. Well, the more the more things change, the more they stay the same. That, that, that's correct, Colin. You've once again won, won the quiz. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so yeah it is six four you mentioned there and then two lesser known players uh, Wojciech's gone to Legio Warsaw and Schneider has ironically gone to Kupion who um, Union played in the Conference League this year both on loan so it was a little bit of a tricky one in that sense um, but now that everyone's really bought into the podcast and is, is on, the, on the, the edge of their seat ready to go um, we're going to be talking a little bit about yeah, I mean, in, in light of the uh, a very poor week for, for the three German clubs still competing in Europe, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern Munich uh, and RB Leipzig, um, with two losses and a, sorry, two draws and a, and a loss between them. Um, it's kind of one of those things that's brought up the same old questions that are often asked of the Bundesliga and about German football in about is how competitive it is, questions pertaining to 50 plus one, um, you know, what, how the German clubs, the, the elite German clubs can compete with, with Europe's elite, which continues to grow. Um, so, yeah, like we said, um, Salzburg um, were able to draw with Bayern, and I think Bayern were maybe a bit lucky in the end to, to get the draw. Um, and Leipzig, Sociedad was also 1-1, uh, not, not as interesting a game, um, as the other two, but I think that the, the talking point 
was obviously you know, reverberated around the world, around Europe, was uh, Borussia Dortmund 2, Rangers 4. Um, Roy, just to check, you weren't one of the, uh, the, the Rangers away fans in, in attendance with the Haas foul flags in the, in the away end? I was not. Right. I, I lived off that, that game quite well, to be fair. Um, quite fairly enjoyed uh, the, the 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 club partnership that we have with Rangers worked quite well for me. Let's just say on the click side, but no, I was not there. Sadly, waving far too many pass foul routers were in that stadium. I think there was more fans in the home end as well. So it's a bit a bit mad that basically pass foul beat Dortmund. Yeah, no, it, it it is mad, almost as mad as the the Rangers pass foul uh, partnership. But I suppose. We ought to talk about the the, the game, uh, really. I mean, it it was. I, I literally, I, I had this game down as a four-one in favour of Dortmund um, before the game. I think that wasn't nothing too controversial about that. Um, you know, Dortmund have been in a slightly um, up and down form of late, and that that loss to Leverkusen was particularly poor. But you just felt that at home. With with the quality that the Dortmund have, that that um, and you know they just come off the back of that three 0 win at Ulion, um, that they would the range wouldn't be too much of a um, of a challenge for them. So I don't know, uh, Colin. Do you think that that um, Dortmund were really poor? I mean, I, d- I think the last Rangers game I watched was was the old firm towards the end of January. I can't can't claim to be an expert um, in Rangers at all. But do you think that Rangers were really good, or or that Dortmund just kind of um, just kind of yeah, I just didn't really compete and get into the game at all. I would say a mixture of both. Like Rangers generally are quite impressive in Europe. They have been the last two or three years. So to give them a game and to give them a, a tough tie in Europe wasn't much of a surprise. I didn't expect Dortmund maybe to... I, I wasn't surprised that they never kept a clean sheet anyway. And I thought Rangers would give them a good game at Ibrox. I... I wouldn't have been too surprised if they'd beaten them. Just the manner of it was pretty surprising. It was a bit of a combination of both. Though Dortmund were extremely poor defensively, which it, the the problems for that have been well documented. You can see it in the league as well. I'd say it's been an issue the last few years for Dortmund. You saw the last home game before that against Bayer Leverkusen, losing 5-2. And the problems for that just continued. Uh, I think the organisation midfield as well was extremely poor. So as impressive as Rangers were, I think you have to look at the look at it in perspective. Uh, Dortmund conceding four goal, four goals at home uh, to a side that had really been completely outclassed by Celtic only a couple of weeks before. Yeah, I know. I think I think that um, the return fixture is going to be pretty fascinating. I mean, Drew Bellingham was a uh, friend of the podcast. Drew Bellingham, should I say, was um, was saying after the game that he couldn't wait to to, to get to Ibrox and that he he's not going to let his teammates um, you know, put on another poor performance. I thought that was a real um, sign of sign of leadership from um, from young Jude. Um, but I think there's a, there's a couple of things that are different with this game. First of all. There's only uh, there's eight eight thousand eight thousand nine thousand fans in attendance, um, and you know we you know we don't need to talk about how much of a home advantage um, Dortmund have um, from 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 their crowd usually, and also the fact that although they have shipped four goals in this game, 
they scored two, but you know, the the away goals is not so much that they would need to score three goals um, in the reverse reverse picture. So, firstly, I'll, I'll put it to you, Roy. Is uh, well, firstly, how, how much of a difference did the can can you sort of place on the fact that there was a limited amount of fans in the stadium? And secondly, are Dortmund going to be able to turn this around at all? Because you know, a two goal deficit isn't actually that bad. I mean, I mean, Haaland has been in training uh, yesterday or Monday as we're recording. Um, probably not going to be able to start the game. Maybe if things, I'd imagine he'd probably be in the squad and he might be brought on for a second half appearance and you never know what he can do even in 45 minutes. So do you reckon, how do you think that will, that will play out in the, the fixture at Ibrox? Um, I don't, the kind of first point with the fan stuff, I think Dortmund have been playing in that situation in that environment for a while now. I don't think I should have phased them. I think it might have phased Rangers more because they've been back to playing in full stadiums again recently. And you saw last year when the when the stadiums were cut and the restrictions that the standard kind of fell. And I know there was a lot of Rangers fans around the home end as well. So I'm maybe there just like wasn't actually any atmosphere from Dortmund because it wasn't really, you couldn't really hear it. Uh, much there was obviously a lot of the from the way fans uh, coming through, so I don't think the atmosphere at the stadium kind of played a part in the result. I just think I don't I don't even think Rangers were that good either personally. Like I just think that the a couple like how many of the goals were gifted uh, to them as well. I mean Lundstrom, um, who's really funny because I made a comment about that to someone at work uh, about like why I thought Dortmund would beat Rangers and I was like I don't know just look at players like Lundstrom and then Lundstrom goes and whacks one in the top corner um, but then looking at the second leg like you said Holland makes a difference and that's the biggest thing like he will make a difference he could be the person that comes on they could go score two goals I think what was important for Rangers was they got the first goal as well in the first leg and that just kind of I don't know um, I th- it was kind of a nothing game nothing was really happening I feel like if someone scored they might have gained a wee bit of momentum and that's, that is what happened in, uh, for Rangers to go and score four goals there but for the second leg I feel Ibrox is really difficult to go to eh? like Colin will know himself like just just watching Scottish games and stuff, you'd really struggle when you go to Ibrox just because you are you you do feel like the, the crowd's on top of you. And I don't think that Dortmund should be phased players should be phased by that. They should probably be professional enough to not be triggered. But you do hear so many times of massive European na- football names. Uh literally Kaka said it recently apparently that um when you go to Parkhead and you go to Ibrox, the atmosphere you feel it and you see the difference and it can affect you so I really I don't think players like Bellingham and Holland get phased by things like that but maybe I don't know maybe a match with those could get like I know he's a big experienced player but he's not really been great so far this season and I feel like if he's have a negative turn in a game that something could like like the fans get on his back could be something I don't know I think it could be difficult I think I've long-winded this answer but I think boldly predicting it'll go to extra time, but I don't know where it'll go after that. Well, yeah, firstly, let me say that for, for a podcast that's nominally meant to have something to do with Scottish football as well, or Scotland, it's, it's, uh, even as an Englishman myself, it's nice to actually be fulfilling um, the description of our podcast for once. Um, 
and yes, but uh, no, in all seriousness, I would say that uh, Matt Hummels that was part of a, a team that defeated uh, Brazil 7-1 um, in a raucous Brazilian stadium. It's probably not going to be two-faced. I think I'd say he's, he's, he's had his fair share of experience. I can't just... I think I'm just triggered by how bad he's been like this season, and just yeah. I don't know. Well, I think uh, the one, uh, a blessing in disguise, and this sounds really horrible to say, is that Zagadou got injured um, uh, oh, oh. Uh, in the game against Gladbach, um, and he looks like he's going to be out for a while again, which is sad. But I think from a Dortmund point of view, um, they probably have uh, Pongrajic coming in to play centre back this time. Good news from the Gladbach game is that Gio Reyna is probably only going to be out for two weeks or so because it looked like that was going to be really bad. Um, but um, no, I think that that's, that game is going to be really interesting. But yeah, I mean, after I think it was after that game, you saw a lot of people talking about oh, you know, this team are meant to be second in the Bundesliga, one of the best sides they've got, you know, you know, meant to be attracting all this talent and so much hype about Borussia Dortmund. And they... they uh, I would hate to say they were kind of outclassed by by Rangers at times, and it yeah led to the same old questions that often get asked about about the Bundesliga and whatnot. And it is true, um, you know that um, um, yeah the last so Schalke was the last time to win the competition that uh, Dortmund were competing in the Europa League, um, and that was 1997. Uh, German clubs not competed in the final. Um, of the Europa League or UEFA Cup since 2009. Um, and it is long been a, a competition which has sort of um, yeah, plagued um, German clubs for, for whatever reason. And But I think like with anything in sort of football discourse these days, at least there's kind of more existential kind of long-term questions about, you know, how good is the Bundesliga in comparison to other leagues? Um, there's there's a tendency always to want to answer how good is each league compared to the other league. I mean, I heard uh, kind of on an unrelated note, um, Joe Cole was saying uh, to the Athletic yesterday that he thinks that from his time playing one season um, for Lille in France, that the Ligue 1 is like second best league um, in Europe. And yes, they go on for ages about which league's better, but. Uh, I think fundamentally, it's not helpful for everyone to, and it's it's, it's not good for, for people like us to actually like German football. And I just don't think it's very nice sort of yeah discourse to be having all the time, having to you know if, if Dortmund lose one game to have to um, talk about it. But that's actually what, what we're going to do the rest, of, spend the rest of the podcast <laughs> doing, um, because we 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 cater to the people's needs. Um, so one thing that gets you know, brought up in all of this um, is the famous TV deal of 2002. Isn't that right, Colin? You're not referring to the, the Kirk Group collapse in 2002 that, uh, when they went into bankruptcy, are you? That was what I imagine was on the, the, the edge of our, our listeners' uh, tongues as I was building up to that. So what do, you, what do you tell us about that? Seriously? Yeah. I think it's important because I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for... Um, 50 plus one people know about that and people know about the sort of the rebuilding of the academies the um, NLZs uh, in Germany mm. but maybe one contributing factor um, to the whole you know state of the Bundesliga in Europe could be traced back to to 2002 as we were saying for recording could be traced back to even earlier but we'll start with 2002 well, shall we 
Well, I suppose uh, early 2000s German football was an interesting place. Sort of reasonably successful results in Europe. Bayern winning the Champions League in 2001. Leverkusen getting to the final of the Champions League in 2002, losing to Real Madrid. And Dortmund the same year, lost the AFA Cup final to Feyenoord. Uh, the national team got to the World Cup final in 2002 as well. But sort of round about that time, the main TV deal... Uh, which I think the biggest broadcast in Germany at that time was the Kirk Group, uh, which uh, went into bankruptcy and I think led to a lot of financial troubles for what the clubs sort of like Leverkusen had had a, had a relatively successful spell, but then in the aftermath lost a lot of their players. I suppose to sort of tie it relevant, uh, tie some relevance back to the conversation because I, I, I'm struggling with that. Um, it was sort of a similar time. Um, I mean, I say I say it was relatively successful, the national team getting to the final, but I suppose round about that time, they also had extremely disappointing tournaments in Euro 2000, Euro 2004. And with the lack of lack of financial power of the domestic clubs, the failures of the national team, I think the, the leading... Leading figures in German football thought it was a, a good idea to revolutionise the game a bit, spend a lot more money into the academies, and sort of probably probably led to the the success that we've seen in the last sort of fifteen years in German football. We we're sort of talking before off air that uh, a lot of these things it's like cyclical, so. We're talking about the German football and the strength of the league compared to others just now, but it's not like that's permanent. German football, the Bundesliga seems to be getting weaker just now, but it's not a case of everything stays the same forever. Like for instance, Serie A was, I would say, was reasonably weak for about ten years. I would say in the aftermath of the the match fixing scandal, but it's probably closed the gap a wee bit with the top leagues again. Um, German football might do the same. Um, so I think with the, the academies producing a lot of young players led to a lot of success for the national team. 2006 World Cup was really the start of that, hosting the, the tournament and getting to the semi-finals. Uh, semi-finals in Euro 2008, World Cup 2010 as well, and winning the World Cup in 2014. But I think in recent years, the academy production has sort of dried up a wee bit, so maybe it's a a sign that it does need another sea change. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think um, it's yeah. I, the reason why I want to talk about the TV thing is because a lot of the criticism, which we'll come and talk about, I think uh, aimed at the Bundesliga, I think is um, quite quite yeah mis misjudged. Really, I think one of the 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 key points is actually to do with the distribution of, of TV rights. Um, in the Bundesliga, I was—I mean, I was trying to have a quick look there because I couldn't think of like the the exact numbers, but a, a sort of disproportionate amount of uh, the TV rights uh, goes to to Bayern uh, uh, predominantly, and then to Dortmund, and it filters the way down so that the the smaller clubs get um, a fraction uh, of of what they get, and then I suppose that comes down to a um, a marketing issue for the Bundesliga and in, in how it. Um, yeah, how it marks itself in, in general and poor performances in Europe as much as we wouldn't like to admit it probably don't contribute to um, you know um, cl- 
people wanting to take an interest in the Bundesliga. And but you know, on Friday the the Mainz Leverkusen game was, I believe, put on for free by Sky. Um and th- that was a free on the Sky Sports app. Yeah. 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 But also uh, uh, it was the first first game Sky Sports put on their YouTube channel, so it was streamed live. Yeah. Pretty readily available. Yeah. And so that seems to me like a like a pretty sensible um thing to do, especially because that was such a good game with, with Mainz turning around and winning the game um late on. Um you know, the more exposure it gets and you know, more people watch games like Mainz against Leukus and they'll sort of re- realise that the appeals of the Bundesliga aren't to do with the fact that Bayern might win it every year, it's to do with the all of the you know, various plot lines in it. And the fact is, you know, you look at the league now and you see, in my opinion, two of Europe's best young players in Jude Belling and Florian Wirtz. They're both, you know, at the start of their careers now and you see that happen all the time. Younger players, be whether they be German or non-German. I mean, both those players have already got 50 appearances in the Bundesliga now, which seems crazy, both at the age of 18. Um, and, you know, players of great talent will get um, the chance to do that um, in the Bundesliga. The other thing I was going to say when we were talking about that there is that, um, you know, the idea that, that Dortmund are, are shit because Bayern win the league every year, and therefore can't compete in Europe. It's kind of and, and to, to to level that at Germany specifically is, is just nonsense, really. I mean, the whole the, an issue of, of competition, firstly, is a, is a sort of pan-European problem. You see, like how many times this kind of, the trend's been bucked in the last year. Um, but you know, uh, Juve and PSG dominated their respective leagues for multiple. Multiple years, pretty much the most of the last decade, um, and you know, I think what I think what we should really acknowledge here is that Bayern are kind of they're not an example of a failure in in the Bundesliga, a failure in, in fifty plus one, but they're sort of a kind of shining example of how to run a football club and the the way that fifty plus one, for example can be used to to leverage a really good um, football club and obviously a successful football club. I mean, we were kind of talking, we've talked about this before, but I don't know, Roy, would you, would you agree with that? That, you know, it's, it's very, it's kind of a very lazy argument to make, you know, saying that the, the Bayern are the, the reason behind the, the Bundesliga's lack of appeal, the Bundesliga's lack of success in, in particularly the Europa League, for example, because other teams can't compete or whatever. Well, I think you can, what you said that you can look at in two different ways. You can look at the appeal of Bayern as a well-run club and a club that does well for itself and has set itself up great for however long in the, 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 in the situation that's been given with the 50 plus one. Or you can look at it as a oh, like oh, Bayern run away with it, Bayern or this, Bayern or that, the rest of the league is shit because of that. Like, I've always looked at Bayern as an admiration. I've never really looked at them at the same way Scottish fans will look at Celtic and Rangers, for example, um, or maybe English fans will look at um, Chelsea, sorry, George, and like Man City and, you know, the teams they got that have been using a lot of money. Um, Newcastle recently, to be fair. I think that's maybe the difference. Um, there's, there's, you can you can actually create different comparisons with the, the Bayern and how they do it. You know, Bayern maybe running away with the league, but it's not like 
they're not doing anything in Europe either. Like PSG have ran away with the league for how long? They've done nothing in Europe apart from the, maybe okay, the last two years have been seemingly successful, but they've probably got the best front line the world's ever had, and they don't look. Like, I wouldn't say they look like they're gonna. They would run away with it. Uh, same with Juventus. I, I, this might be a bold claim, but when was the last time Juventus won anything in Europe as well? And they won it for ten years in a row. Uh, they got to the final against um, Real Madrid that year, but they obviously lost. They're not really setting the world alight in European style, so like I don't think Bayern not doing well in Europe and Bayern doing extremely well in the league because it's just the, the Bundesliga being branded as a really bad league and a league that's just run by one horse because there's many leagues in the world that do that, but Bayern actually do it in the the continental stage as well. Yeah, I I think it, it does. Maybe this is just because I obviously, or we obviously all pay more attention to the Bundesliga than other European leagues, but it does seem that the Bundesliga gets sort of a disproportionate amount of um, criticism for its its league structure and, um, you know, its appeal compared to, you know, France and um, Spain and Italy. I, 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 I don't really see the point in, in, in comparing them the whole time, but I think the more and more this goes on, the more it kind of does become a problem for the Bundesliga that we kind of... I have to acknowledge. I think the the most glaring example of that is probably Lewandowski not winning the Ballon d'Or this year. Um, in that, almost the only argument that could be made against him. I mean, breaking a fifty year old record by a legendary player in, in Gad Muller to score was forty three goals in how many? Like how, how many games did he do it in? I can't remember. Is it thirty four? Was he thirty four? Really? He missed a couple of years. Yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't like even play a game So I think, yeah. Anyway, score 43 goals in a, in a league season is ridiculous. And he's he's on track to to level his record. He's, he's, the, he's scored the same amount of goals he had this time last season, 28 goals already. So the only um, kind of, yeah, counter-argument that could, that was launched at, at Lewandowski for, for not winning the, the Ballon d'Or is that he he did it um, in Germany, which seems to be indicative of a kind of uh, a perspective that everyone that doesn't follow German football, everyone, I, w- I hasten to say everyone outside of Germany because, you know, the, the Bundesliga has got plenty of admirers outside of Germany, but people that maybe don't understand it too well or their affiliations lay out elsewhere are very keen to, you know, point out that, that you know, the Bundesliga is shit, it's a farmer's league, blah, blah, blah. In the same way that kind of the, 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 you know, the other leagues don't really get, in my opinion. That might not be true, but that's just, that's just my, that's just the way it seems to me. But I don't know, Colin, do you think that, you know, all the, I mean, th- yeah, this week with, you know, the German clubs not doing that well in Europe is actually, and, you know, the, the conversations that leads to, do you think that's actually... Is that a bad thing? Is that does that even matter? Is is the you know obviously I mean, Lewandowski hasn't won the Ballon d'Or, but I don't think any of us have lost sleep over that. But past that, do you think it's it's even something that we should be talking to or talking about, or should we just end the podcast right now? <laughs> to be honest, for me, it's something I don't really think about too much. Apart from after European games, um, mm. 
when you're watching the league, when you're like, for instance, Friday night, like the the, the day after. Dortmund played Rangers. After I thought Dortmund and Rangers were a really uncomfortable match to watch as a fan of the Bundesliga. But then 24 hours later, you sort of forget about it when you're watching Mites and Leverkusen, two of the sides in the league that aren't Bayern, and they put together a great spectacle, a really entertaining match. And you don't think about that while you're watching it. It's something that only really comes up when the teams do play in Europe against uh, sides from other countries. And I suppose it comes up at the end of the season when Bayern inevitably run away with the league again. Um, I suppose it's just something that you either enjoy the league for what it is or you do question it. I suppose it is, it is a thought that we do have um, in terms of the competitiveness. But I think you sort of make of it what you will. I don't know, I just I, like coming in on your point about like why is compared to other ones, I just thought that was quite it's quite a interesting point to make because why like we all the three of us like I mean George you, you obviously watch Premier League uh as well as the Bundesliga but I'd say me and Colin like the biggest league we watch is probably the Bundesliga. So we just gravitate towards anything Bundesliga related. I'm don't watch the La, La Liga so in my head, the only two teams there are Real Madrid and Barcelona, but I know for a fact it's not. I just don't make a comment on that because I don't know anything about the Spanish league. Um, and to be fair, that's fair enough for people to say, like, Bayern run away with it. Why is, why, is, why, is why is it not competitive? Why is it not interesting to watch? But like, it's people that don't watch it, so it's kind of, it's kind of a pointless argument to ever have. These like watch is a f- I hate that phrase. I didn't want to say it, but like which is the farmers league kind of stuff. Why does it matter? I don't watch the Premier League, so I've known nothing about it. I, but I said those two teams I mentioned earlier were Chelsea and Man-, Man City. Like okay, maybe Liverpool as well. But like who else would you really bring up and say it's a competitive league underneath that? Um, the Italian league as well. Like you, you don't watch them. Don't have a. I say I don't know. I just I just find it really difficult to to have that comparison argument because I don't think you should be really need to compare it if you don't watch it why should you have an opinion on it I don't have an opinion on the Spanish League I don't talk about the Spanish League there's probably I don't know who's doing well this year but that doesn't mean I degrade that league just because I don't give I don't care about it and I don't know anything inside it and I also just to add on my point before Ben Collin and who um, kindly raised his hand in the, the, the proper way on Zoom where I didn't um what I would say was like if you, you're a big fan of the Premier League, you'll always say the championship's the best second league. And in Germany you always say all oh, this fighting Bundesliga, but you never really hear anyone else talking about Serie B and you don't really talk hear people talk about the Segunda Liga and Spain and things like that. I don't know if that has any bearing on like what the, the league systems are like either. It's just a it's just a sort of rise in, in terms of the debate on social media, which is like sort of football Twitter folk with profile pictures of footballers um, that constantly just compare it, which probably makes the issue bigger than it actually seems. Like normal people aren't sitting there comparing the leagues. I think it's just something because you see it so often on Twitter, you think it sort of conflates the issue a bit more. But I was interested to hear you say about like like Scottish football and stuff. uh, The amount of times I sort of made the comment we were 
chatting earlier, Stephen Robinson uh, has moved from Morecambe to St Mirren, and that's led to loads of discussions on social media, like, oh, why would you move from Morecambe to St Mirren? Like, League One in England is so much better than the Scottish Premiership, or, like, vice versa. Like, who cares? Like, wh- why? Why does it matter which league's better? Scotland, I think particularly for us, Scottish football is constantly compared to the English pyramid. Like, where does the Scottish Premiership fit compared to the quality of the leagues in England? Some people say it's the same as like League One. Some people think Rangers and Celtic could get into the top half of the Premier League. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because you just enjoy the league when you're watching it as it is. It doesn't matter which one's the best. You don't enjoy football, or at least I don't, because I'm watching the best teams. I don't think the Bundesliga is the best league in the world, but it doesn't mean it's not my favourite league. I would... I would hold my hands up and say the Premier League is probably the best in terms of quality, but that's because it's the richest. It doesn't mean it's the best or even the most entertaining. And the aspects uh, the aspects that draw me to the league aren't so much the quality of football. It's more like the sort of fan culture side of things, which we've spoken about before. I think just drawing back, like English lower league clubs and Scottish clubs, it's more, why are they fighting to get with each other when the sort of what they should be opposing are the sort of rich Premier League clubs that are widening the gap with the, the amount of money they're spending? Yeah, um, well, my own take on it is that, I mean, I asked, I posed the question if, if it's the the perception of of the Bundesliga. And when I say the Bundesliga, I basically mean every team that isn't Bayern. Um, being like shit, and that no one cares about them. That they're they're terrible. They're all pub teams, and whatever. If that's actually an issue, I think on the face of it, it isn't an issue. But then, then again, these are the exact conversations which essentially led to the very brief existence of of the European Super League, in my opinion, which was born out of the idea that if you're not an elite club that wins everything and that has loads of money, then you have no place in in modern day football, um, which is obviously a ridiculous argument to make. And I think a lot of people realise that very quickly. But the the power and the decisions that are made in football are now made by people who are as you know stupid as it must, um, might sound, are kind of conflating a lot of the you know opinions that you see floating around on Twitter about the you know Bayern's the only good team in the Bundesliga, Bayern's the only reason you'd watch the Bundesliga, because that leads to people like Agnelli at Juventus, um, etc., saying, Well, yeah, fuck all these like Mainz and you know Bochums or whatever and teams in the Premier League that no one cares about and that let's get rid of all of them because you're right, the Bundesliga is a farmers league you know, the we only really care about watching Man City and Chelsea and Liverpool and because in the Premier League. So let's just make up the European Super League. And we saw um simultaneously how dangerous that was to football because they nearly got away with it, but also that that, that is not where the majority of proper voices in 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 football really stand. And and I think ironically, one of the people that came to look quite good in this whole situation uh, out, out of the Super League was um, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, um, who is, is not a good person, but he, in the light of the European Super League 
um, was made to look like one. He's now one of the more senior uh, figures at UEFA because well, one of the things that is so sacred about German football, and because of 50 plus one, Bayern and Dortmund famously didn't um, join um, or t- attempt to join the Super League because they knew that their fans, uh, well, they would have to consult their membership and that they almost inexorably would not have agreed um, to, to join the Super League um, because that's not what football's about to them. So I think that kind of just underlines the point and that the there's I think we might go and have a conversation about 50 plus one now, but underlines the point that if if anything was to be taken away from the whole Super League uh, disaster, really, is that, you know, teams like Bayern and Dortmunds, you can say that they're shit or that Dortmund are shit and that they can't even beat Rangers, but they fundamentally have a have a moral core. I mean, I hate, hating to say that with Bayern with people like Early Hurnus involved in the club, but but their, their their membership. I mean, Bayern have got like two hundred ninety three thousand members. Pretty sure that makes them the, the largest sports club by membership in the world. And the fact that they know that their their members, fee paying members who care about their football club, regardless of how successful they are, aren't going to um, fall into these arguments um, like what we were just talking about about um, you know having to compare leagues the whole time and that they only watch football to watch the best teams play against each other I mean we've chronicled on the pod loads of times about how our favourite trips favourite times watching football aren't watching you know like Real Madrid versus PSG in the Champions League last week because that game was fucking terrible uh, you know our favourite times watching football were going to you know Alta Dry Neutzig or whatever um, and you know watch you know I think there's a limited pool of people that watch football for the intrinsic value of what football is to watch the highest quality, you know, only wanting to see the best players and the best teams play against each other. If that was the case, then obviously we wouldn't um, watch the Bundesliga um, because it isn't the best league in the world, nor does it pretend to be in my opinion, but there's things that need to be celebrated about it, which I think were kind of um, brought to the forefront, luckily um, by the the Super League. Um, I was just going to say, um, I suppose the the league does sort of promote it. Um, I think it probably could do it more so, but in terms of like football as it's meant to be and all that, um, which is a positive thing, I think it probably should sort of emphasise the strengths of the league more, like the fan culture and the fan involvement side of things, rather than focus on football. I, I think a lot of the all of the media is maybe um, sort of comes from Dortmund and Bayern players and the, the young players that they have, uh, which is good as well because I think it should, in terms of football, I suppose that the strength is the the youth production and um, the young players that German clubs help develop. So that should be the, the main focus rather than trying to be something that's not. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think with everything and like basically what you were saying earlier, Roy, is that if, if you don't like it, then just you don't have to watch it. I mean, there's plenty of other things. I mean, like Disney Plus is a great source of entertainment these days. There's a lots of other things you can do on the internet. You don't have to, you don't want to watch the Bundesliga. You don't have to watch it. I don't really understand why, why it's, um, why it's sort of, why people have to talk about it the whole time. But, it, you know, I think it's true that you know during like the Rangers game, you do feel a sense of like 
kind of a bit you're a bit more protective if you're like oh this is getting a bit embarrassing because you know that once Rangers beat Dortmund then there's going to be the whole of um, you know social media is going to be going on about how shit the Bundesliga is the whole time and that is more than anything quite annoying and, and as we've probably established it could be quite dangerous to to the game in Germany um, but I think one thing that is interesting that I wanted to bring up um, is is the thing about 50 plus one because it's kind of the the German legal uh, situation elephant in the room um, in, in all this because it is something that people want to talk about uh, as a way to sort of um, you know disarm the strength of the Bundesliga and, and say that until the the Bundesliga gets rid of 50 plus one that you'll see results like Dortmund one of the biggest clubs in in Europe losing to to Rangers and you know I mean Bayern have you know they've won the Champions League two times in the last decade but maybe they should with all their dominance of winning now probably 10 leagues in a row maybe they should have asserted that dominance on the European stage a bit more um, and of course that more German teams should have won the Europa League when you pretty much see a Spanish team winning the Europa League every single year um, and you know that as a discussion needs to be had so I think I would say that most people are aware of what 50 plus one is. I don't know if you do, you you'd agree with that or should I give a quick explanation as to what it is, how it works? Right. Um, well, I think one thing, one, the main thing that people don't realize with 50 plus one is that it was established in 1999 um, at the point when uh, with, you know, the increasing commercialization in football, the DFL, which is the Deutsche Fußball Liga, which is responsible for the first and second Bundesliga allowed for the outsourcing of the professional division of, of football clubs away from the Eingetragener Verein EFL, which is like the registered club, where the, the bigger part of the club, which is, you know, will have um, the amateur teams, the other sports involved with the club, because we know a lot of other sports are usually involved in German football clubs, and it's not just football. Um, so the Eingetragener Verein is the, mem- is the members, and then the professional div- division is usually a GmbH, which is a limited company, um, and an AG, which is an Aktion Gesellschaft, which is a joint stock company. And those are open to investment. But that part, the the, the GmbH or the AG, um, well, introduced with when the 50, when 50 plus one was introduced uh, in 1999, stipulates that when this football club, when a football club outsources its professional division into a GmbH or an AG, the parent club or the AFAL has to retain 50% of the voting shares in that company. Um, yeah. In, in the professional department plus one share. So that the, which, which basically stops, um, you know, majority being owned by external entities in a way that English clubs do with like what, like what we've seen happen um, with, with Newcastle United. And, and that essentially um, prevents also, well, it's it's intended to also maintain the integrity of sporting competition in the Bundesliga. That's official statute, and also to guarantee the security of the sustainability of professional and, and amateur football in Germany. So all of those seem like pretty good things. So you've of course got your exceptions, which are just pretty boring to talk about: Wolfsburg, Hoffenheim, Leverkusen, Leipzig. No one really cares. It was obviously the there's a, a ruling in June of 2021 
uh, by the Bundeskartellamt, which is like the competition authority in Germany, which has been looking into a long time about whether um, 50 plus one infringes on free market competition, essentially, and whether it's actually problematic for the league in general. So this isn't just a question about the Bundesliga in Europe. It's kind of a question about the whole existence of the Bundesliga and whether the, the clubs would work better in a free market if it wasn't for 50 plus one. So, so that so that independent regulator from well, the government regulator essentially found that it doesn't infringe on free market competition and that in the authority's view, the basic rule is potentially unproblematic under, com- um, under competition law because of the sport policy objective it pursues. Right. That is a very boring sentence. The key finding, which I, I find very interesting, is that there's the quote from the um, Bundeskartellamt. It says, um, the DFL's argument that it wishes to maintain the club character of the sport can be considered such an objective. It offers the public at large the, the possibility to co-determine a club's affairs by becoming a member and hence participate to participate in Bundesliga activity, that's the key part, beyond their role as consumers. And I think that, if anything, kind of sums it up, um, it, well, in my opinion, as to why, well, the whole argument that we've kind of been talking about here is that we're talking about football fans, you know, in, in an age where people, you know, people are being priced out of the game and you've got... Um, NFTs and different things in Web3 denying football fans what they should be allowed for free as football fans. The the Bundesliga wants to maintain their view as the fans as as not as customers or beyond the role of the fans as as customers or consumers. Um, And therefore, to talk about the Bundesliga as, you know, a, a sort of a commodity or a market independent of you know emotion and tradition it's just that's just not what it's about for me and you know none of us have grown up in Germany we've chosen to support you know to to follow the Bundesliga because I and I think this is true for a lot of people and it kind of sums it up is that you're not I mean it's kind of romanticizing it a bit because there is still there's obviously an element uh to this because we live in a capitalist society so that's what's going to happen but you're not seen as a consumer as a as a fan of German football and that's respective of the Bundesliga right down to the, to the lowest levels in German football you're not a consumer you're an you're an active member especially when you are part of the the AFL like I pay how much do I pay like uh, 90 euros a year to be an active member of 1860 and I can as much as our owner would would wouldn't likely do, we can make sure that the club doesn't change name, doesn't change colours, doesn't um, appoint people to the board um, who have opinions with which we disagree with. Um, you know, and and you you can yeah. I think the key word is participation, um, and it also kind of underlines the point that. Um, yeah, we're talking the 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 regulator talks about you know the sport sporting integrity, um, and I think that's important because it essentially leads to sustainability. I think one thing that's probably important to say about German football is that sustainability is more important than success because 
sustainability means that your club doesn't just disappear overnight. We have seen that with the likes of Toguchi Minchin in recent weeks, but that is a very complicated, isolated case. Um, in general, foot, um, German football fans would prefer to see their club sustain, sustainably run um, and you know have the odd. You know, you look at like Eintracht Frankfurt winning the DFB Pokal. Eintracht didn't really tend to win anything. They had a great time when they won the um, when they won the DFB Pokal, but their their existence as predominantly a Bundesliga side representing a large city is more important than. I mean, you won't find Eintracht Frankfurt fans saying we should be in the Champions League, beating English teams, beating Spanish teams, winning the Europa League. I don't even think that enters their mind space. The fact that they know that their club, for the foreseeable, is in is codified as as being you know untouchable from external entities where you can be bought out by a whole nation state is more important than you know just yeah success because what is success if you don't have you know the happiness of and the participation of your fans um I mean I think yeah I've been talking about absolute ages here but you look at I heard someone talking about when when Cologne got into Europe that was like great isolated you know they took loads of fans to Arsenal and then they went down but it's like you know you have your day out and then I don't know. I don't know if 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 you actually have any opinions on that of what I've just said, but because I've been talking for ages, but um, I think I think it is important to to kind of take a step back when you're assessing what you, what it is you actually care care about when you when you talk about football. I think what <clears throat> change it like we talk about cycles and the things that are current the German football. Are, currently been criticised for or suggested that should be changed as something that's celebrated when they are successful. I remember the sort of aftermath of sort of like 10, 10 years ago, um, the clubs were doing well. 2013, all German Champions League final. The year after that, 2014 World Cup, Germany won it and everybody's speaking highly about German football. 50 plus one's great. The academy systems are great producing loads of players. That should be the model that everyone should follow. This was a time that English football was slightly less successful. The national team weren't doing well. Sort of 2010-2014 World Cups were extremely poor. So England are saying we should be replicating the German system. But suddenly, 10 years later, it's the complete opposite. And it's the English youth system that's producing the players. And German, German clubs aren't doing so well, so now it should move closer to the English model, where it's greater investment, commercialisation, uh, and that will breed success. So uh, it just shows how sort of reactive people are to the, the sort of context of the time and what's actually happened on the pitch sort of shapes the opinion of stuff like 50 plus one. It's either the best thing or the worst thing, something that's elevating German football to something that that sets it apart from other leagues or it's other times it's seen as something that weighs it down so I think when we're talking about 50 plus one I'm sort of making a 
comparison as much as we've loathed to make comparisons between the Bundesliga and the rest of Europe. But, you know, we may talk about the case of Newcastle, which has obviously been in the news recently. Um, the one thing that 50 plus one also prevents, as much, you know, along with us, me just going on about, you know, the fans not being consumers and whatnot for so long, um, is that the idea of, you know, reputation laundering essentially is pretty much impossible in the Bundesliga. That is that, you know, outside uh, entities can't use the success of a, of a football club to, to bolster their own um, reputation, be that to, you know, move. So in the case of Qatar or Saudi Arabia, in the case of, you know, PSG, Man City, Newcastle, to deflect the attention away from what a, you know, crimes against humanity essentially uh by by having a successful football team that's basically not possible um in in germany i mean the most high like the people most high up at Bayern, for example um they're not investors but people like early Hernes, most people in germany have a pretty negative opinion of him but the, in the main the three main investors in Bayern are adidas alliance and Another one which begins with A, uh, Audi. Audi, yeah, yeah. I know it's three A. So yeah, so between so Audi, Allianz, and Adidas each own eight point three percent of FC Bayern, um, Argi, So the professional division that we were talking about earlier, and I don't think that I mean Adidas, Allianz, and Audi. The I don't think anyone's making extreme complaints about them as 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 companies. They're certainly not using it to make themselves to d- deflect attention from them as being horrific companies um, generally. Um, and also that also means that that's 20, it's 24.9% of those um, of the uh, FC Bayern RG is owned um, by those three companies and the rest is, is uh, owned by the AFL. So they're actually, instead of being 50 plus one or 50, yeah, um, Bayern are like 75%, 25%. But the point I'm stuttering to make here um, is that probably one of the, the other benefits, which hardly gets talked about, is that there's a sort of transparency in German football, which is really important for, for, for yeah, for, I, would, I would go further than say that for German football and German football fans, but also, you know, for, for Germany, I mean, 50 plus one is not something that exists in like a football vacuum it is part of a kind of a german culture i mean until 1998 all the football clubs were not for profit organizations it was only in 1998 when they took that turn into professionalizing things um and you know making commercializing things and like we said about them not being football clubs they have a much greater role in the community in representing their fans and representing their members then you pretty much see, at least in the professional kind of elite countries across Europe, I I can't really comment on outside of that because I don't know, but certainly in that sort of milieu of the top countries in in Europe, there's something inherently German about really having to have control and have transparency about how your institutions run. And that's something that Roy and I have lived in Germany, live in Germany, that's complicated in my case right now. We've experienced that, but kind of Germans are very particular about 
knowing that they are involved and that they can't have what what they see as something they own whether that be a kind of moral or financial ownership just being taken away from them swept away from them especially when it's something that's as important as it is to as to their communities as football clubs are and and I think Roy you wanted to you were going to say you you're going to sort of add something to that about how you know we don't often talk about how important the the image or the, the image of ownership or the image of of who is actually in, in charge of these football clubs is um you know compared to to other european countries yeah no just if you look at i think i kind of brought to you guys an example like remember when the the was it malaysian owner uh, cardiff just decided to change the colors and just to market them to the chinese market and like would you ever imagine that happening to like, why would you want that time? That's not becoming, that's not him coming in and thinking, uh, I'm going to do something for the city of Cardiff. That's him saying, I'm going to make more money by putting it onto a bigger market because they'll like the colour of red better than they like the blue, which is the like colour of their team. You, I just don't think you'd ever see anything like that here. And I just, like, it's amazing that you, don't, you wouldn't see anything like that here. And that's something that the 50 plus one preserves is the fact that no one's going to come in and just use their money without having a scooby about football and not caring about that, just thinking about the business side. And, like, I think it was Vatska at Dortmund said um, a while ago that how many business owners only care about winning, like, how many owners, like, if you look at this, the Super League kind of thing, bring that back up, how many of the owners of the club just wanted to be there because they would be the best and they'd be making more money out of it? Like, I don't want to, say, like, make assumptions because, obviously, like, I know uh, a lot of Man City fans come back and say that uh, Sheikh Mansour has made a lot in the community around Manchester and helped Manchester in that area a lot. But at the same time, like, he's gone in there and he's spent a lot of money to, and he's made a successful team. He's made a team that wins all the time and he's, he's got a manager that, win, that knows how to win. Where Man City weren't doing that, um, what into after, before two thousand twelve as much. Um, so you don't see, apart from maybe in Leipzig's case recently, a team that's kind of came in in the past in recent uh, recent times and just shot up the way and actually went. You know, they weren't doing much, and now that all they're doing is winning. Not saying that Red Bull only cares about winning, but like. That's exactly what's happening with a lot of owners, and you just don't. I don't think, like you mentioned earlier, about like Kern being in Europe. Like Kern fans' expectation wasn't, "Oh, we should go win that, or we should go do well in that." It was just go and enjoying it. So, I don't know if I've kind of ran away from the point there, but it's just that can being that can you don't you're not viewed as a consumer as much. You're viewed as part of the club, and whereas like Cardiff City fans at one point they were viewed as consumers, like their fans, they were viewed as something that the club didn't appreciate and the owner of the club didn't appreciate at that time and you're you're seeing it with a lot of things isn't it you just kind of just imagine the same thing's going to happen in Newcastle which is a shame because Newcastle is about the fans and at the end of the day are the good about the fans are they going to be spending lots of money on players to as well as they can just to make a winning entity yeah no I think it's, it's a very in, uh, important point to make actually um, and often you know, a skeptic would look at good things that Sheikh Mansour has done, or that the the Saudis are planning to do uh, in Newcastle. A, a skeptic would look at that and say that 
it is, like I said earlier, essentially just reputation laundering, um, using sort of positive things. Say, uh, if we, um, you know, build a few uh, youth centres, blah, blah blah, that would detract from our oppressive oppressive regime that we're behind, blah blah blah. But we're not this. We're not uh, here to talk about Newcastle. We're, we're talking about the Bundesliga, and I do think that if one thing you said that's interesting is that Leipzig doesn't just care about winning. And it didn't really even meant to say that because it is essentially true that we've been going on about how the positives about 50 plus one for a while now, but you can't talk about 50 plus one without acknowledging that inherent in the ruling from 1999 or 50 plus one is that there was always meant to be uh, exceptions because of section eight, paragraph two of that particular statute. Um, stated that uh, if it can be proven and Collins told me this is called the grandfather clause <laughs> I think that's right? a I think that's more of a sort of general right term for the the sort of okay. legal um... got it well anyway so the, the 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 grandfather clause be it named that or not states that um there could be an exception um if it could be proven that a business or sponsor has supported the sport of football within the parent club, the, the key two points here are in, in uninterruptedly and substantially for more than 20 years. So the, the obvious examples of that are Wolfsburg um, and, and uh, Bayer Leverkusen. They've obviously been backed by Volkswagen and, and Bayer um, for a very long time. Bayer obviously since, since 1904. They're sort of Wolfsburg and, and Leverkusen are places which the the football club and the main company there and the employment kind of go hand in hand because there are a lot of people that work there support the football club and you know it's I feel like it's quite patronising to explain that to be honest. As also you know the case of Hoffenheim who were a uh, Dietmar Hopp, um, great guy. Um, we were able that he was also able to prove that and was able to take uh, the the small village of Hoffenheim with a population of 3,260 in, into the Champions League. And obviously people don't like this. And now and now Leipzig have managed to, to get around a 50 plus one. They do have, you know, um, an Arge and, a, and an AFAL as well. Um, but that um, Arge has only got, well, the, the AFAL only has 21 members who don't have any voting rights or all the lives of Red Bull. So it's essentially, it, it entirely does comply with 50 plus one more so because when the statutes were written in 1999, they probably didn't expect that this wouldn't foresee how this could be circumvented by not having, by not, not giving voters, their members any voting rights and making all the members employees of that of said sponsor or company namely Red Bull. Um, so we've got to kind of talk, it really does beg the question of, you know, it's the dark side of 50 plus one, which you can't really have one without the other because you you will, it, you wouldn't be able to say, uh, so Bayer Leverkusen particularly, uh, Bayer has been supporting the club since 1904, um, but now we're going to get rid of this part of 50 plus one. It, the the exemption clause, uh, section eight, paragraph two. So you have to have this exemption clause, but it does give give rise to your Leipzig's, your Hoffenheims. So I think I don't know, Colin. You, 
it's undoubtedly uh, it's, it's essentially dangerous to the league. And it's in, you know, if, if Leipzig, for example, I mean, they were one of the clubs that, you know, they got a draw against Real Sociedad in the week. Um, if they start doing well consistently in Europe, is that is that a good or a, a, actually a bad thing for the Bundesliga? I wonder. I would say it's a bad thing in general. I think you could you could look at it as a as a good thing in terms of if these sides if these sides weren't currently in the Bundesliga and say it was still Bayern and the other clubs in the league aside from Leipzig and Hoffenheim say it was Schalke still getting into the Champions League I wouldn't think they would be quite able to match the performance of Leipzig so it probably makes the league look better in terms of European um, European success Leipzig managed to get to the semi-finals a couple of seasons ago the Champions League I don't really think any other team aside from Bayern would be able to do that obviously maybe Dortmund haven't been that far in quite some time um, so in terms of that, it perhaps makes the league look better in terms of its standards. But I would say it's a bad thing in general because it sort of introduces the, um, it sort of sets the precedent that you need this investment and to go about the rules in a certain way to gain that success. Unless you're someone like Bayern, who obviously has the um, power behind them of multinational companies, the other the other clubs won't be able to reach that level unless they somehow find a loophole in the rule. Um, I would so I'd say it, it sets a dangerous precedent, and I think it will particularly continue if Leipzig win a trophy. Say Leipzig win the league. I mean, I, I'm of the opinion if anyone is going to stop Bayern from winning the Bundesliga in the next sort of five ten years. It probably will be Leipzig. So I would say the the discussions continue even more so after that. But I would say you're asking if it's a, a bad thing in general. I just think it's a bad thing in terms of the culture because it's plain to see from for everyone that a side like Leipzig and Hoffenheim have less culture than Schalke or Werder Bremen or Hamburg, who are currently in the second division. They've got clubs that are don't have that sort of community feel, um, doing well and showing themselves as the best example of sport and performance. I would say, right? Yeah, see, on like the sport and performance side, I think one of the things we were going to talk about, we've not properly delved into maybe as much, was like the actual performance and like how like of the teams in the league and how competitive the league is because the league in itself when you take out Europe because we kind of stayed on Europe for a while before we moved on to plus one it's actually the like do you actually think the performance and the competitive nature of the league is hindered by this or do you think it doesn't actually make do you th- or do you think it actually makes it better the, the, the appeal the appeal of the Bundesliga to me outside of the stuff that everyone goes on about um, to do with um, but it goes on about it's probably the wrong way to describe it. But the the the, the praise that it gets for you know the fan atmosphere, the fan experience in the stadium is all is all completely valid. But I think I mean I'll go back to the example on Friday night. Leverkusen have been 
one of the standout teams um, in in the league this season. Mainz have been pretty good as well. And they had a really good game where it was not entirely clear who would win it until the last minute. Um, I mean, even you know, Bochum beat Bayern last week. That's probably not a great example because that doesn't happen too often. But the, what, Bayern have lost, what, three times this year in the Bundesliga? Um, you know, there's pretty much, there's pretty much, pretty much a, a fairly shocking result from week to week in terms of shocking in the sense that very unexpected. Um, and you just, you, I just find it entertaining. I think that there's a actually, and whether this is to do with 50 plus one, whether this is to do with um, academies producing good players, whether it's to do with good recruitment, I find that the difference between probably your sort of sixth place and just above the relegation zone in the Bundesliga is very marginal, in my opinion. Hence, you pretty much every season see one team from a certain group of very similar teams make a push into Europe, whether that be Hoffenheim, Freiburg this year, whether it was, you know, it was Wolfsburg last year, um, you know, you've seen in recent years, Köln get up there. I think that's testament to the fact that there isn't a lot of, I mean, it, all the, the attention is detracted by how much better Bayern is from the rest of the group. But the reality is behind that and behind probably Dortmund and Leipzig, there is not a massive difference between most of the clubs. And I was even saying in our chat yesterday, I don't even think Foot, who are bottom of, but quite comfortably bottom of the table and are last in a lot of key statistics, are even the worst club in the Bundesliga. I, I think that's how to Berlin. I think that, you know, you see clubs like Foot, Bochum, not going to say Augsburg, teams like that play out very interesting, like fun games, exciting games week to week. I remember when Fort nearly beat um, Dortmund as well when they played them at home um, in, in the Hinrunde. Um, you know, there's always exciting games. You don't often see really boring games apart from um, when Bielefeld play Augsburg. But, um, you know, week to week, you see really exciting games. And I think that's probably a testament to the fact that it's a competitive league. But that depends if you want to measure competitive by... Does one team always win the league? Yes. Or can any team pretty much beat anyone? Also, yes. So I think when people say the Bundesliga is in competitive league, I think that's essentially wrong. That's the answer I wanted. That was the answer I was looking for. That's exactly how I feel as well. I don't know how you feel about that, Colin. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? I was just going to think, sort of building on the previous point where Wolfsburg and Leipzig and Hoffenheim are experiencing that a period of relative success compared like when you consider sort of the catchment area, the support size of the clubs, uh, where that's a, a sign of success, where investment comes. Uh, there's also equally amount of negative stories. Took Gucci, um, 1860, where investment is completely failed. Even Hertha, like George says, like that's a sort of scenario where you can imagine post 50 plus one, uh, sort of so-called like as they say big city club with a lot of potential that are obviously going to be attractive to investors it's going to be them that you you could imagine would be targeted when this when it goes wrong there's not really the foundation left and when you're so reliant on an investor and when they pull out it can all collapse like 
like Togut is equal equally that it could sort of transform the fortunes of the club. It could also completely destroy it. Well, I think that's that's one thing that Lars Vindhorst has found out the hard way is that the way that German football clubs are structured is that you can't, as he has done, uh, invest like 200 million euros. And that means that from what I understand about the health situation, he, he essentially has no say in how the club is run or any of the sporting decisions it makes because that's led to, I would say, the people that know what they're doing, but I have to they don't. But the people that are supposed to know what they're doing are the ones that, that make the decisions there. So it's, you can't just come into a club and say, this is, I, I'm going to give you all this money in exchange for you doing what I want, uh, for the club doing what I wanted to do. Um, and I'm, that's not really how it functions elsewhere in Europe, which is also, in my opinion, a good thing. But uh, you can see how that could be detrimental because a lot of that 200 million that he's invested has just been spent or, or wasted really uh, to, to Hertha's detriment in, in this particular case. Um, but yeah, that seems like a, a logical place to end it. We we came into this episode not really knowing where this conversation was going to take us. We, we you know, there, there's certain points in the road in which the competitiveness of the Bundesliga gets brought up. And this was the, the, the lack of success this week, especially with the Dortmund defeat was one of those those points and a lot of the conversation is often to do with um you know Bayern winning the league but we wanted to move the conversation a little bit more to the European perspective and and where the Bundesliga sits in Europe and and if we should even really care about it and and maybe what the positives and negatives are related to that so we hope it's been an enjoyable episode um as enjoyable as it was for, for me to discuss it with my two handsome co-hosts here um and we certainly hope that it won't be as long uh, until the next time that Roy's back on. Um, yeah, we know you're a busy man, Roy, but we, we hope we hope he'll be back on soon. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.